Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another FYE podcast. Halloween is approaching rapidly. So we are talking about ghost stories today. And we have a lot of guests joining us today. It's kind of like a roundtable. We're all just going to spook each other out. So we have my usual co-hosts, Jerry Galindo and Nicolas Valderas, as well as Jose Salivar and Ms. Cynthia Salivar. And we have some very special guests um, from the Susto podcast, Mr. Adrian Castellanos. From the Brownsville campus, Mr. Michael Aldape. And from the Edinburgh campus, uh, Mr. Aaron Reyes. I'm just going to kick it over to you guys. Uh, we can start introducing ourselves. Mr. Adrian. Yes, thank you so much for the introduction. Um, as Gerson said, my name is Adrian Castellanos, or Aidit, as I'm also known by. I am the producer and host of a podcast called Susto. And it's a podcast about spooky, scary uh, folklore surrounding Latinx or Latin American cultures. And um, I'm really excited to be here today because this is my kind of thing. I do this all year round. So it's really exciting around this time of year to get everybody else involved. I guess, should I start off with my story? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell us uh, maybe what your podcast is about, what kind of stories you tell. So as I mentioned, I, I tend to focus on... Uh, more like spooky folklore. I do always try and encourage people to send in their own experiences with the paranormal or the supernatural, whatever they like to identify it as. Um, but I definitely focus more on like the, the legends that we've all kind of heard growing up. So of course, La Llorona, um, we just talked before we started recording about the uh, Constanzo cult and the abduction and murder of Mark Kilroy. Um, so I do like to get into the idea that sometimes the things that we might um, instantly fear are not always like spirits or uh, monsters under the bed. Sometimes they're very real things, <laughs> which in my opinion is more scary. Um, but one story when I, uh, when I saw the, uh, the promotion for this live stream, I was really excited because uh, one story that I haven't gotten to share in great detail is something that I experienced with some family. So growing up, I, I have family in La Villa, and I used to go to La Villa growing up a lot. And I don't know if it was my experiences as a kid there with my family's properties and their houses. So one night, it was after a huge family barbecue, and there's always like the one or two people that stay once everyone's gone. And so I stayed with my parents because I was like, a sixth or seventh grader so of course I don't have my own car to like go do my own thing and we're all sitting around their dining room table and they start telling us about how their sons always stay out late and they're always warning their sons you need to get home earlier like it's dangerous out there you never know like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and they were thinking more about like drunk drivers or possibly getting pulled over like trying to stay out of like getting themselves in trouble um, but we ended up finding out we being my parents and myself finding out that they were talking about something a little bit different. We're sitting around their dining room table and it's just a long rectangular table. So I was at one end and the door was straight across from me on the other side of the table. And it was my Thea, my Theo on one side and my mom and my dad on the other side facing each other. And so I'm just, I have a direct shot of the back door and they're just talking about this. And then my mom starts chiming in and she's like yeah I understand you know we want to keep them out of trouble you still want to give them independence because they're grown up and my Theo was like no 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 that's not really what I'm talking about 
And so my mom asks her, well, what are you talking about? And my Thea goes on to tell her, well, we're not really sure what it is, but we think there's someone visiting us in the evenings. And we're, we're always scared that the boys, my cousins, are going to find out who that is. My Thea starts telling us how when she's washing dishes and she can look out the kitchen window, she sees shadows passing by. And if you've been to La Via, you know that a lot of it, there's like, well, not a lot of it, but there's a lot of Monte, at least where my Thea's house was. There was a lot of Monte, there was train tracks, some that weren't running anymore, some that were. But she said that she could see shadows walking by in the Monte. And so that scared her already. And then she started to tell us how they could hear people trying to get into the house, but they would never catch anybody. And I was like, well, you're more brave than I am. Because if I thought someone was trying to break into my house, I'd probably make as much noise as I can, let them know that I was there, but I wouldn't try and like run into them. So they're telling us this. And all of a sudden, the door that I have a straight view of, it starts shaking violently. I wish I could show you my door right now, but I'm gonna try and recreate it with my mic. The door is just like, like someone was trying to pull it open and it was locked as well. So they're jingling it, they're shaking. So I'm looking at this door, doorknob shaking and moving back and forth. The first thing that came into my mind to defend myself from God knows what it was out there. Mind you, we had just had the barbecue. So there was a three liter soda right in front of me and I literally just moved the soda in front of my face thinking that was going to protect me from whatever was trying to get into their house. And we're all just kind of staring at each other like, so what do we do now? Like, it, like they're not lying to us. And my dad's like, no, no, it's your sons. It's one of your kids, whatever. So my Theo is like, okay, let me show you. So he gets up and literally up to the moment that he goes to grab the handle, the door is still... And he grabs the handle and like rips it open super fast. And there's nobody out there. He like, he's like, look, like, look, he's like, come look. And my parents, like, they look at each other, they look at me and I'm like, I'm not going to go look. Like I believed him already. I'm still hiding behind the soda. And um, so my dad gets up and he goes to look and it's my Theo and my dad looking and they're like, there's no one here there. And it's like a big open yard that they have in that back door. Nobody. Look, they, they look to the side of the house, nobody. And they see one of the dogs comes and runs up. And my dad was like, no, it's the dog, whatever. And I was like, I didn't know a dog could check a door that much. But <laughs> if you say so, closes the door, locks it, thankfully. And we're all just sitting there. And I'm kind of like still in shock and silent. And like, what are we doing? I'm like, I want to go home. I want to leave. <laughs> I don't want to know what this is. But also it's dark outside. So I don't want to leave. I want to stay where I'm at because I know I'm safe in here. So they close the door and we're like, well, where are your sons? When are they going to come home? It's probably them. They're kidding. They're joking with us. So my Thea calls her sons and you can hear they're like at a club. Like you can hear the music super loud and they're like, no, like yelling, trying to get us to hear them. And so we're like, no, they're definitely not outside because we'd hear that music if they were. So they hang up with them. And again, they're like, you see, that's what I'm talking about. I'm scared that they're going to encounter whatever that is because there's been so many stories about the land here. And again, as my Thea's saying all that, the door starts to shake again. And we're like, oh my God, okay. Again, my dad and my Theo get up, they go check, nobody. And my dad's like, no, it's the dog. He's convinced the dog's not even there this time. So again, the dog runs up, they call it. My Theo's telling the dog, like, 
stay here, sit. The dog actually sits and he's just like laying there on the steps. He closes the door. And as soon as he closes the door, we hear like a on the door and the dog runs off yelping, crying. And my Theo had like barely turned away from the door. Again, he rips it open. Nobody there. He sees the dog running away, still crying. I don't remember at which point I was like, okay, I have it in me to walk from this house to our car so that we can leave. But I remember being terrified. And actually, I never went back. After that night, I was like, I don't have to go to the barbecue. I'll stay home. I'll microwave something here. I don't have to go over there. But that was a moment for me that really validated, like there is, there are things that happen. There are other beings that cause these things to happen. Like it was a huge validation for me. I just want to ask, uh, like, does your family, did they own the house since before or was it someone else's? They built on the land, but I don't know, like maybe who they got the land from or what was there before. I just, I know that that house existed by the time I was born, but I do know that they built on the land themselves. And do things still happen? Not that I know of. I know my mom, like she still, she goes to visit her family there. She's never really told me anything else, but ever since I moved out of my mom's house, she and my sister have told me about things that have happened at their house. And I'm like, I don't know, like, God bless you. I'm praying for you, (laughs) but I hope it doesn't happen where I'm at now. Um, But they haven't really updated me on you know, anything happening at that house. And, and again, I mean, maybe they were just like, he's obviously freaked out. So we're not going to tell him if anything <laughs> else is happening. She was brave to even go back. Mr. Andafe, um, do you want to share something? Sure. Nope. And no problem. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And same thing with me. I, when I got the invitation to be part of this, I was so excited because I love Halloween. I love folklore. I love telling ghost stories. I feel like it's such a big part of our culture, um, especially here in the Valley. And it's something that um, I think I like to think about it much more than, than just at Halloween time. And I think that what helped me with that was the fact that I studied history um, at one of our legacy institutions, UT Brownsville. And um, I did my undergrad and I got my graduate degree in history as well. And it was so cool because when you're there at, at the campus and you're studying history and you're studying things about the Mexican-American war and different things like that, it's so cool that you can actually visit spaces on the campus that have significant ties to what went on in, in Brownsville's history. And so I guess for me, the, other, the only other thing I would add personally is that I've always also been open to this. I've always been really mindful of like, there's things that we just can't explain. There's things that we just don't know. And that's okay. I think that that adds a lot of mystery and that adds a lot of great richness to life. Um, And I I really credit my great grandma with that because she would always tell me stories growing up about different things that would happen to her or her family. Um, You know, my family, we've done our genealogy. We've been here in the area since the 1740s. Family was really into ranching. They had property, all, all these different things. Um, and my great grandma would tell me stories about this this woman that would come up from out of underneath a tree, like the spirit of a woman coming from underneath a tree. And she had um, a white flowing gown and she had coins sewed on to her the bottom, like the hem of her dress, which was a really common practice back then uh, as part of uh, marriage ceremonies and things like that. And, and then also just to hide your money because you didn't want it to be exposed to anybody else. So you'd keep it very close to you all the time. Uh, and it, when that would happen, when she was a little girl, they, the, the horses would get scared, the cows would get scared, the ranch hands would get scared. 
Um, and it was just, it was a lot of craziness that went on. And then as she grew older, she told me about a story when she and my great grandpa were driving uh, to Kingsville. And, you know, mind you, the road from Brownsville to Kingsville for the most part is still very isolated, but you've got to think back, you know, to the 1940s, 1950s, even more so when the interstate was really just getting going after um, Eisenhower took office. Uh, she talked about one night they were driving, no lights out there, pitch black other than the, the car's headlights. And all of a sudden they saw someone literally just standing in the middle of the road. And before my great grandpa could react, they ended up going right through him. And I said, well, grandma, you hit somebody. She was like, no, we stopped, we got out, we looked, we checked the car, there was no damage, there was no one there. There was absolutely no one there. My great grandpa was um, in law enforcement and he was like, I've got to see, I've got to, I've got to know what happened, all this kind of stuff. He could never explain what happened at that point. In thinking about the Brownsville campus, um, you know, it's, it's known throughout the state and really I think even beyond that as being one of the most haunted college campuses. And rightly so, because you've got to think about where it is and its place in Brownsville's history. And so the campus itself is built the way where it currently stands. It was really built on the site of the former Fort Brown and even before that Fort Texas. Fort Texas went back to 1846, uh, right before the uh, Mexican-American War kicked off in May. The fort was established in uh, March of that year. So about two months old, the fort itself, when we think of a fort, we think of this really big, heavily protected and armed kind of you know, fortress, right? This was not that, it was a, an earthworks sport. It was basically, you can still go and see the remnants of it. If you visit the campus and you are on the, uh, and you go to the golf course, um, you'll see a, a mound kind of like far off in the distance. That's basically the remnant of the old fort. As time went on, uh, it would expand and it would grow. New uh, facilities would be added as the fort became much more entrenched, um, not only in Brownsville's history, but as a really active military installation. We have to remember, at least in, in Brownsville's history, the city and the fort kind of grew together and they saw everything together. They saw birth together, they saw life happening, they were tied together inextricably socially, um, and there was death that happened because not only um, was it the Mexican-American War that happened between 1846 and 48, but then the Civil War hit and Fort Brown played a major role in that as well. It was There was a big uh, battle between, or continuous struggles rather, between um, the Union and the Confederacy going on for control of Brownsville and the fort because of the proximity to the river. The river has always played a big role in what's going on. Now I share all of this because uh, it's really important to keep in mind the context that really up until the end of World War II, um, this fort was active and it was used as a training facility. It was used as uh, a hospital, not only for uh, the fort and soldiers, but really also for the city of Brownsville. Um, so everything that was going on in the city was being impacted by the fort and vice versa. Because of all of that, um, people have talked about hearing horses, you know, like clip-clopping all throughout the campus. They've heard, um, I remember one, one person I know, very reliable person, very sane, very, um, one of these very analytical type A left brain persons. Um, she was working one night uh, at the Tandy Hall, which now sits on the Texas Southmost College campus. And she was working late. She was, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And she was in that building. And in that the building, it's very well made, very heavily constructed. And um, it, it's like very thick walls. She could hear um, 
noise coming from outside. She's like, I don't understand. It sounded like thunder. And she thought, oh my gosh, I get, better get out of here. It's going to start raining. Well, it just kept getting louder and louder, but it was, it grew to not only sound like thunder, but they, she heard bells and she, she heard um, horns playing. And she's like, what in the world is going on out there? So she went out to look, absolutely nothing. And the thing to keep in mind is that area was part of the parade grounds uh, of the fort throughout its history. And so people say that they can hear, you know, all of that going on. Um, one of my favorite stories that I remember reading about and, and hearing about, um, it's, it's kind of sad, but it's also really, um, it's really interesting to, to hear because people talk about seeing a woman who is going around the campus frantically searching for her son. And she is literally reported, reportedly anyway, she's literally gone up to people and has asked for help. And I need to find my son. I can't find him. Please help me, please help me. And as they try to help her find him, she disappears. Never see her. That would be crazy enough. Add in that the same people then report seeing a little boy come up to them and say, I need to find my mom. I'm lost. Can you help me? And they, no matter what they do, they can never help them meet up. And so that was always, it was always a very sad story to hear. Um, for me, I've had several things happen on, on campus. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I remember it was my freshman year. It was early in the morning. It was probably about 7.30. I was at the library, at the old, what was then the Oliveira Library. And I was going through the stacks in and out, trying to find a few books. And I was the only one on the second floor of the library. I don't, I don't think there was even library staff up there yet. And I was walking in and out of the stacks. I come out of one of the stacks and I look to my left and along this wall, it's, it's just windows. It's a bunch of windows that were covered with mini blinds, right? Well, as I'm looking this way to go into the next stack, I see one of the mini blinds kind of pulled away from the window, probably by about a foot. And all of a sudden I just see the, the mini blinds hit the window. I didn't think anything of it. I went into the stack. I was looking for my books. I got what I needed. I came out and I thought, wait a minute, something's wrong. That doesn't make sense. Maybe the window's broken. Maybe, you know, air's blowing through or something like that. I went to check it, nothing. I thought maybe somebody's playing a joke on me. There was nobody up there. I said, okay, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna leave you to do your thing. Whatever you gotta do, that's fine. Kept going. Uh, maybe about a year later, I was working on campus and I was working at what used to be the old post hospital at Gorgas Hall. And you've got to remember, um, there was a lot of life and a lot of death that happened there. So one day it was dead of winter. Nobody was on campus other than, you know, essential people. And I was there because I was a work study. And of course, you know, when, when everybody else wanted to be off for break, work studies needed to work. And so I, I was there and I had to go pick up um, some things from a meeting that we had in another room. Well, at Gorgas Hall, it, it's a long building that is lined with these wooden plank floors. And I had to walk from our office, the president's office, all the way down to the conference room, which is probably maybe about, I don't know, 50, 60 yards away. It's not a long walk. I was walking and it was freezing cold. Nobody should have been out there. And I heard footsteps coming from the other side of the building and it was loud. It was like, really loud footsteps, like somebody wearing heavy boots, you know, stomping on the floor. I stopped and I said, hello, hello, you know, who's out here? And I thought maybe there's somebody's coming to help me pick up. I was going to tell them to go back to the office. It's too cold. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. Thought, okay. Kept going. I walked and then the footsteps started again. And I'm like, at this point, I was starting to get a little like, okay, seriously, whoever's out here, just leave me alone. I got something. I've got stuff to do. Kept on. I kept going. One more time, I stopped, they stopped. I finally said, you know what? If you're here, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you want from me. I stayed standing there and 
I wasn't moving. It wasn't me. I just heard somebody stomping. I'm like, oh, oh, no. So I ran back to the office, left everything over there. I'm like, I'm not going back. I'm not doing it. Um, my last story that I'll share, and this is the one that freaked me out the most uh, working in that office. Again, it was one of those times it was myself and maybe only one other staff member that I can remember who was there in the office with me. Um, and we had our security cameras kind of on this kind of closed circuit TV loop, which would basically, we had a small little camera, I'm sorry, a little monitor by the front desk. And it was just constantly cycling through the five or six cameras in the office. Fine, no big deal. Nobody should have been up on the second floor. I happened to look at the monitor as it was going through and all of a sudden it, it uh, cycled through, to the, um, through the, to the camera that was at the landing at the top of the stairs. And I saw somebody staring straight at the camera and I freaked out. I had no idea what the heck was going on. I was so, I, nobody should have been up there. I, I kind of did a double take and I waited for the camera to go back. There was nobody there. I'm like, somebody's hiding. I had to, I literally, I'm not joking y'all. I called campus police and I said, please, come check this office out. There's somebody upstairs and there shouldn't be anybody. And I told my coworker, uh, who was a full-time employee at that point, I said, I, we need to figure it out. She's like, uh-uh, you're, you're on your own. You figure that out, you deal with it. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. Campus police came, they searched everywhere. They looked in all the closets. They looked in every office. They looked anywhere that anybody could possibly be hiding. They looked around the building. Nobody was there. They're like, we don't know what you saw. I'm like, I'm telling you, I know what I saw. Somebody was standing there just staring straight at the camera, looking at it and smiling. I freaked out. But you know what? No matter, no matter all of these things that have happened to me, I have never felt unsafe and I've always felt so at home and at peace on campus even when these things have happened to me and I've been there have been times when I've worked on campus until midnight or later and I never worry I know that's a lot to digest but I feel like you have to kind of put it into context because so much has happened uh, on the campus so yeah yeah we heard a lot of uh, crazy stories from Brownsville I think uh, Jose and Cynthia have seen stuff too or, or heard about it well, Cynthia has been on the like, that's her home campus. I the, the few semesters that I've been there the when I've had to teach there, the first time I did it, we were in, uh, where were we in Cortez, in Cortez, and there was another group that we shared the office with, but they're right in the front, we I'd use Cynthia's desk. And there were times I'd be in there. And it sounded like somebody was on the other side of the office that we, we was just partitions that separate us but the door the drawers would open and close and papers would shuffle and stapler like there was a lot of noise and I remember finally I got up because I, I figured like I've been here for a couple of weeks and I don't think I'd ever introduced myself so I walked over and there was nobody there there was nobody in the room and and I asked Cynthia then the next time she was there I said you never hear any of this every time I come I hear it and there's nobody there she said no I never heard it what happens, I usually put on my AirPods. I've been working on the Brownsville campus for what, 15 years. And um, I used to work in Tandy Hall and Tandy Hall was notorious for like all kinds of stories. Um, and I never stayed after, like I tried to get out as close to five as possible just because there was always this like eerie feeling even though I've never like seen anything in Tandy Hall. But in Cortez, I always had my AirPods on and so after Jose told me like he was hearing noises, I started not wearing them. And then, yeah, it sounded like I would get up a couple of times a day just to look and it's like, you are alone. Like I know nobody would go in there, but it sounded like people were just working with me. Um, and so I went back to wearing AirPods cause I, I didn't want to deal with that. Can I, can I just comment, Michael, uh, your grandparents' story going to Kingsville 
uh, in that nearby area is Ben Bolt, apparently notorious for housing the, the woman in black. So that, that old story that's um, in, the, in the book, uh, Scary Stories That Must Not Die. That's the area that Ghost is reportedly at. You know, I, I remember hearing about that book, and I think that book was still available when I was in middle school. You know, students would tend to read it and freak out and tell me about it afterwards. I don't know, I would just get too scared to read it. And then I guess as I got older, I kind of just feel like, eh, I'm going to separate myself if I experience something. Like, I've had weird things happen, and like, I want to be like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to denounce it and just like be a non-believer for a second. If there is a ghost next to me right now and they are doing things to like change my life somehow, I'm just going to let them. Well, no, to, to that point, I it, uh, one that, that's kind of happened, one experience that happened more recently to me. I don't know if you all have ever been to the science, engineering and technology building, but up until a couple of weeks ago, that's where my office has been for the last four years or three years. Um, it's my, I, had a, I had my office and then right outside of my office was a little ante room where my program coordinator had her space. She walked out of the office, this was, I don't know, last year because you know it's definitely pre-COVID. Um, she walked out of the office, said, I'll be right back. Okay, no problem. I'm sitting at my desk, I'm typing away. I hear in the outer office papers kind of shuffling and falling to the floor. And I thought, okay, well maybe, you know, she left something on the edge and the air conditioner blew it up, whatever, I, I, I played it off went back to what I was doing, whatever. I heard her come back in and I, I went out and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't come pick up your stuff, but I heard your papers fall. We were looking, oh, there are no papers and whatever. And and uh, I said, no, it's so strange. I heard papers fall. And I she had a big calendar, one of those big paper calendars on her desk. And I said, it sounded like this and it was open. So I grabbed the page, I closed it and then I pulled it back up again. I said, it sounded just like that. She's like, I didn't have that page open when I walked out to to leave right now that my calendar was closed. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And she's like, no, that was, that was totally closed. I'm like, you know what? I think we're done for today. We're going to just let them know what they need to do. It's already 4.45 anyway. We're done today. Checking their schedule to scare us. So Aaron, I understand you have a story. You have a story for us? Yeah. Um, I, I, I came onto the show with the premise that I did have it. And while Michael and Aiden were excited to come onto the show, I was not so much because more so like I, I am not confident with my scary story just because I typically don't tell scary stories. So a lot of my stories are secondhand. They're typically stories that Dr. Salivar told me. Uh, we're both from Elsa. We know a lot of the same people. And it's just like, you know, it, there's a lot of spooky things apparently happening on the, in the Elsa area in the Delta region. There's this one spot just a little bit north of Elsa on mile 17 and a half. So there's apparently been a handful of Bigfoot sightings in the Ed Couch Elsa region as well from people I, I, I trust and respect, you know, I, I would consider them reputable. And okay, if you want to just throw me out, throw my yeah, yeah. Out. Dr. Salivar. <laughs> Dr. Salivar saw Bigfoot at a very young age, but I, I believe him, you know, it's it's a story he told me, and I, I, I would imagine it was hard to get out of him to talk about it, but it was, I was like, okay, why not, right? And there's a certain flow to that from the other stories I've heard about Bigfoot in the region, it just starts to make sense. He travels by the irrigation irrigation system, by the way. So, <laughs> but um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more used to telling these secondhand stories. I, I've never really had experiences of my own. Um, my house in the hallway, it's always been kind of creepy. It always felt like there was someone staring at you. And then we started putting like. Uh, all the toilet paper we bought for quarantine there in the hallway and now it, it doesn't feel like we're being watched anymore 
So now you just feel bad for for hoarding <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's the guilt of, <laughs> of overbuying. That's where we are now. But um, but my story, what where I finally got to see something, happened uh, on a foggy night, leaving McAllen one night uh, with a friend around two a.m. And I was just kind of slumped in my chair, just kind of hanging out, telling him all these stories because we're heading to Elsa. It's spooky. There's fog in the air. I tell my friend about the Bigfoot story as we're approaching my road because that's where it happened on mile 15, um, off of mile six, I think. And while we're talking, it's late at night. It's foggy. I get quiet for a second because we're approaching my house. We're about 15 seconds away from the, from the light. Out of the dense fog on the side of the road at two in the morning, there's a woman walking down the road. Now the skeptic in me says it was a woman walking home at night, right? But it's 2 a.m. It's foggy and she didn't have a flashlight out. She didn't have her phone out and she didn't look scared and she didn't leave the side of the road. She was very much a prominent figure on that side. of the, I, We couldn't see her. I, I assume she could see us with the lights coming from the fog, right? That, that brightens up the sky a little bit for you. But um, it was pretty close to 88 where they saw the ghost lady. <laughs> it was on the same road where Bigfoot was seen some years ago. Mile 15 in general is a pretty active road. You know, uh, there's plenty of car accidents and uh, sightings. I just want to ask, uh, was she wearing like uh, like normal clothes or like old timey clothes? So I, I wish I could say, like, oh yeah, she was wearing like, I don't even like know. A what white dress. Like Doc Martens and something. She wasn't in a white dress. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the typical. Classic. It wasn't like yeah, a typical right, right. classic, like. You know, I've, I've actually had this weird experience and it, we were going to get groceries and I, we were on 107. So pretty much you're going down 107 right before you hit the expressway, right? Going west. My mom was driving and I was in the passenger seat next to her and we were, we're driving through the road and it's probably like about eight, seven, very dark, time change. You know, it's like our sun, the sun's there, but it's super dark already. I, I scream at my mom, like, watch out because I see an old woman on the road, in the center of the road, because, you know, it's a five-lane road. They have the center turning lane right in that area. She was in the turning lane, but very, very close to where we, she was going into oncoming traffic. And I tell her, like, hey, watch out. And then my mom just freaks out because she, it was, you know, she's driving at a certain speed. and You know, she swerves to not hit her. And it, I just remember seeing her and her being like in like an old, like she looked like she just got out of bed, like an old woman, like she looked like in her 70s. And my mom like started crying because she was just like, oh my God, I could have killed her. And then she like slowed down and we turned around because she looked like maybe she was having like some issues or something. Like, why would she be in the middle of the road? Like, you know, maybe she went wandering off and like she, no one knows where they're looking for her. So we turn around immediately to go back to look for her. She was gone. And that is a very wide road. You know, the speed of old people is not very fast. <laughs> so, so Nick, like all this, like leading up to this month, you were like, I don't have, I don't have any ghost stories. I don't have any. That's, that's, like, that's those... a serious ghost story, man. Come on. Well, that's kind of why I mentioned what I mentioned earlier, because I've had things happen to me and it's almost like the way I've always treated fear because fear has this whole context, right? Everyone, we all have our own kind of like way we respond to fear. And I guess like it's my upbringing that kind of like pushes fear to the back because I guess I've, I've run into a lot of experience, personal experiences, and it kind of leads up to how I treat fear in itself. So normally when something happens to me that's really traumatic, because it was very traumatic and I usually just shove it to the back because I don't want to think about it. I want to stay like on this positive 
sense, right? Because that's the way my mom is. She's very positive. If you ever meet her, she's like, you can get to know her easily. The level of fear that was in my mom at the time, like she literally, we literally thought she almost hit her and like we barely moved out of the way because she was like, you know, mere length from hitting our car. And my mom's like, oh my God, I could have killed her. And my mom, she's more scared about hurting somebody than like anything else. So like when we went back and we couldn't find her, we literally started driving through the roads trying to find this person. I don't know, it's just whole mode. So I usually push that kind of fear to the back burner and just kind of like. Wow, well, thank yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nick. The real Go. horror here is repressing memories. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> it's, no, it's the real horror here right now is 2020. With all the things that we're going through, it's just like, people are probably not even scared anymore. They're probably just like, oh my God, there's so many things that went on this year. It's just like, tell me about it. Like um, I can deal with a little, you know, La Llorona and all this stuff like that. That's easy compared to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is definitely like, um, you know, we've, and we've talked about this the last couple of episodes about um, like scary stories serving as like an escape or something. I mean, because I don't know, growing up, I was a big scaredy cat, but I loved hearing ghost stories. And I remember, yeah, the book, The Stories That Must Not Die and you know, people tell like friends getting together and tell ghost stories. And even in, in college, like I used to like get my friends together and like, hey, do you all have any ghost stories? I want to tell ghost stories. Let's tell some ghost stories. And I don't know. I don't I don't know what what the appeal is like this beyond that escape or maybe it does maybe put us at ease. Like when you're trying to deal with reality, like what's going on. So here's here's one. I don't know that I've shared this one with Aaron or and definitely not with Cynthia. And I just heard from Cynthia. She was upset because I don't share, haven't shared ghost stories with her. Um, so for, for years, I used to commute to Austin to UT while I was working on my PhD. And most of the time after class, my last class would get out at 10. And then I would drive to San Antonio and I'd stay at my aunt's house. Every once in a while, if my last class was canceled, I would just drive home. Like I'd get out of my class at seven and then I would just be like, I, I, I'll just drive home. You know, if I get tired, I'll, I'll get something to drink or, you know, caffeine. You know, I decide one night I'm driving home. I'm going to drive home, just make the drive. And it was a little later. It was still like nine o'clock. Like I still had class. It wasn't canceled. Terco, I was like, I'm going to drive home. So I stop in like George West and right off the express when I buy one of those five hour energies just to get me, get me through because I was getting tired. I kid you not, I'm getting like to Edinburgh and I'm tired. Like my eyes are heavy and I decide I'm going to exit the, the 281, business 281 exit. And I'm coming off the expressway and there's a woman on the expressway, like on the off ramp walking and just kept walking. And I like swerved and I looked back and, and there was nothing back there. It woke me up. I mean, the rest of the way home, I was wide awake, made the drive home. But, you know, clear as day, you know, just like like that woman you saw, Nick or, or Aaron, like, like, yeah, there was a woman standing, walking off the off ramp. And there were there were no like stalled cars. There was nothing else on the expressway. It, it must have been like two, two thirty in the morning. And there was nothing else in the expressway. And I have no idea. Like, I don't know what it was. I mean, I saw a woman walking off the expressway. All these ghosts in, in the roads, we got to teach them to drive. There's no coverage for that in your insurance <laughs> Probably would need to do an episode on driving safety. We, we need to fill November. That We can do that in November, <laughs> driving. <laughs> Safe driving. I've always kind of like Nick growing up, my dad is from Mercedes, Texas. He used to always talk when we talk about like the most haunted place in the world, right? He used to always say that Mercedes was really haunted and he would 
wonderful storyteller would always like intrigue me with all of his stories and it wasn't to get me scared it was just like a this is stuff that I've experienced um when he passed away he passed away in my guest bedroom and my daughter was about three years old at the time and they were super close um, my nephew was two years old um and I remember like a couple of months after he passed away you know she's terrible threes right I was having just like one of those nights with her where I just couldn't anymore and I was losing my patience and I was just like and she looks behind me and she starts talking and she's like Tata which is what she called my dad like Tata yes okay I'll listen okay I'll tell her and then she looks at me she's like mama I'm sorry and I didn't want to turn around. And it's like, okay, I know she's talking to my father. I know he loves me. So after that, I started like asking her, like when I say after that, I mean like in the morning, daytime, right? I started asking her, like, do you see him? Do you, and so like, where do you see him? And she's like, oh, I see him upstairs. And she's like, I see him, you know, in like, and she sees him in the guest bedroom. And it's like, yeah, I talked to him. And it was like, so like my, she's three. She doesn't know anything about ghosts. She doesn't know anything about anything. And so my dad passed away um, in actually tomorrow will be five year anniversary that he's passed away. But in November for Thanksgiving, my um, nephew comes and he's two and we're getting ready to leave to go to my cousin's house. And as we're pulling out of the driveway, my nephew from the back screams, Grandpa, Grandpa, hi. And we like all turn around and look at him like, um, and he's like waving and we pull out and we just drive away and there's like this moment of silence and then it's like, did, did that really just happen? Well, I, I just want to say that Jay has photo evidence of a similar story. Because apparently I think children are just more, uh, was it like a niece or a tia? Oh my, yeah, I have, if you're ever asked, if you're ever around me, ask to see it because I have the photo on my phone. So my wife's grandmother, so the a year to the day that she passed, um, one of my my wife's aunts sent the family a photo. And it's a picture of this little boy, uh, one of the grandchildren sitting like on a recliner. It's juxtaposed is side by side with a picture of the grandmother, the late grandmother. Standing behind the grandchild is clearly the grandmother. I glanced at it like they didn't send it to me, but it's they were looking at it and I glanced at it and chills just <laughs> ran down because it is clear as day. Like I, I can show you just the picture of the grandchild and you will say, is that a woman back there? Who is like, who is that? And then I'll show you a picture of her and it's the spitting image of this woman. She used to look over the grandson too, didn't she? Yeah, she used to before she died. Like that was like the grand, this grandchild lived with her. And so she was very fond of this grandchild. Yeah, I totally forgot about that one. As you say that story, something fell behind me and I am home alone and I need to get <laughs> off of this podcast. <laughs> I think that's enough for today. <laughs> oh my God. That was awesome. That was a lot of really, really great stories. I want to thank everyone. Well, if I can just make a quick plug, if you are interested in um, learning more about Brownsville history and Brownsville's haunted history, um, a couple of the professors from the history department actually conduct tours all throughout the year. I know it's been a little bit different with COVID. Last I heard, they were still going to be doing um, the Shades of Haunted History tours, what they call it, um, with a much limited, you know, very limited group and social distancing and masks and everything. Uh, but I, I think that they're still going to be doing that um, for Halloween. And then, you know, if you're ever on campus, just 
walk around. You'll never know what you'll see or what you'll hear. This has been a lot of fun, y'all. This has been really cool. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, Aiden, do you want to tell us where we can find your podcast? Yeah, definitely. So you can find Susto. That's S-U-S-T-O. I'm sure a lot of us have heard that word before. Uh, it's on pretty much every uh, podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Susto Podcast. And yeah, if you have your own stories, your own pictures, recordings, audio, whatever it be, send them to me. You can also email me at sustopodcast at gmail.com and I'll share your stories on the show. Perfect. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you for joining us in this uh, first year experience podcast. Uh, we had a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. Bye.